Welcome back to Dirty Chai Chats, a podcast all about sexual health, love, and relationships at Tufts. My name is Casey, and I'm back with the final episode of the Sex and Disability mini-series. In previous episodes, I talked with Catherine McLaughlin of Elevatus Training about accessible sex education, and Frank Baca of the Michigan Disability Rights Coalition about queerness and neurodivergence. Today, I'm sharing a conversation with Jennifer Cook, best-selling author and autism expert from the Emmy-nominated Netflix series, Love on the Spectrum. We talk about disparities in diagnosis for women and girls, navigating college with autism, supporting friends and partners who are on the spectrum, and of course, get the inside scoop on what it was like being on the show. Content warning, this episode does contain mention of sexual violence and abusive relationships. It has been such a pleasure to produce this mini-series, and I'm so excited to introduce the final episode. Thank you for being here, Jennifer. We're so happy to have you. Yeah, could you start by introducing yourself with your name, pronouns, what you do for work, and your personal connections to sex health accessibility? Absolutely. So my name is Jennifer Cook. And I go by she, her. So what do I do that has to do with sex and love? How do I boil it all down? I'm on the autism spectrum. And I have written now nine books about being on the autism spectrum. And then the most recent thing that I think a lot of people have seen my face through is um, I'm the autism expert on Netflix's Love on the Spectrum, which has now been nominated for three Emmys. <laughs> so yeah, and, and that show followed in a beautiful way. We're not talking like cheesy reality show. Um, if you haven't watched it, I really invite you to. It showed young people, so people primarily, but not exclusively, in their 20s, who are looking for love, who happen to be on the spectrum. Um, and that's just a happen to be, right? And so I got to come in and work with them and advise them and do some coaching. And it was really fun. And in real life, that's what I get to do too. Um, I get to work with people with all different needs. One-on-one -on -one coaching virtually, and we'll be doing, I can say this now, a season two. So yay! Yay! yay. Big yay. reveal! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome and I should say also that one of my focuses has always been in dealing with you know life on the spectrum one of my books is uh, a memoir called Autism and Keels. And another book that I wrote was called The Sisterhood of the Spectrum. One of the areas on which I focus a lot is girls and women on the spectrum and sort of the unique, unfortunate plagues that beset many of us, which is um, there is an almost epidemic level of both um, eating disorders and of intimate violence for women on the spectrum, not through any fault of their own, but through some misunderstanding of social rules and social nuances, and then the way society will understand them. And unfortunately, those are things, you know, that I've experienced myself, but that gives me a chance to be able to speak, you know, as a survivor myself and say, you know, we, we can make this not happen as much as we possibly can. And we can make sex and love be healthy, beautiful things as opposed to being scary parts of your life. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah. And a lot of the people I've talked to, we've talked about, yeah, like higher incidents of abuse for people with disabilities. And it's really disheartening to hear and perpetrators taking advantage of that. So it's great that you have content out there helping people learn and get better skills and more education for everyone so that that can be avoided. Yeah, the more we can talk about things, right? You know, the more we normalize certain kinds of conversations, not normalizing the topic, obviously, or, you know, um, giving a thumbs up to, but normalizing... Um, 
from the experience as far as understanding that you're not alone. That's really what it's about. And I think so many people who are on the spectrum battle with a constant feeling of I'm the only one. Yeah, definitely. Next, could you talk a little bit about your experience of receiving an Asperger's diagnosis later in life? How did that impact your relationship, sexuality, and your view of self? Absolutely. So, you know, what I've also heard about women on the spectrum as being more common than those not on the spectrum, more neurodivergent women, also dealing with vaginismus. There really seems to be a strong uh, psychosomatic component um, because it's it's almost the brain's way of saying, this is not a good situation. Something near here has to change. When you can't articulate that. That's something I went through as well. So I think what I like to try to think about bringing to this whole table is a lot of personal experiences that have been both highs and lows, but through the lows we can find and really educate beautifully. One of those strange experiences, if you will, was being identified as being on the autism spectrum when I was 35 years old. Not something you're necessarily expecting to happen. First of all, women and girls tend to present very differently. The way I explain that and why that's so is, you know, Casey, if you happen to have in front of you um, a can of soda and I had in front of me um, a glass of water I could say okay well you know what we have doesn't look alike right you've got something that's you know gaseous you've got something in a can I've got plain still clear they look totally different but why do we both have a beverage probably because we have the need is which is that we're thirsty and we've looked for some way to satisfy that need well Men, women, boys, girls on the spectrum have the same needs to create order, to lessen chaos, be able to discern the social clues themselves, to be able to sort of enjoy information collecting for itself and find sensory solutions. We're all looking to solve the same problems, but sometimes the ways we solve those problems looks different. So as different as looking at a glass of water and a can of soda, the problem is that a lot of clinicians have been told, look for cans of soda. That's how you solve the problem of thirst. And, you know, the girls and women are going over here like, hello, actually, we're thirsty, too. And we've got a different question, but it's just as valid. I was identified after my three kids were. And uh, yes, you're right. It was Asperger's back back in the day, 10 years ago. It was, it was Asperger's. Now Asperger's is considered to be just under the full ASD or autism spectrum disorder um, umbrella. Being identified at that late age for me and for most people that I that I know was awesome because it's just like you know if you think back to to math class where you have if then statements, right? Well, it all made sense that okay, if this is what's going on then I'm not a know-it-all. I'm not root. I'm not all these things that maybe I had heard through the years, um, as well as understanding, starting to learn about masking. And mm-hmm. masking is a phenomenon. It's, it's the way so many of us learn to put on characters and almost caricatures to be able to try to kind of blend in as much as possible because there really is that misunderstanding that, you know, normal and typical are synonyms and they're not. They shouldn't be treated that way, but they are. It's really trying to pass in so many ways, yeah. which can be yeah. detrimental to you in, in just, golly, a plethora of ways. Um, but for me, it was a great relief because then I could start making sense of my life. It also gave me a great vocabulary as to why I was able to support my kids in the way that I was sort of organically and naturally. Now, I should say my first husband and my second husband were both are both on the spectrum as well. Um, I do not believe that people who are on the spectrum only can end up with people on the spectrum at all. For me, it's kind of fun because I feel like I've got a shorthand. I know what they're doing or I understand them a little bit better. 
for me, it is a beautiful part of the relationship that I have. And I see that it can be for so many people. Some of the challenges can also lead to incredibly authentic relationship, both interpersonally, just on a conversational or a partner type of level, and certainly with the topic of sex as well. So for me, finding out that I was a little bit different or why I was a little bit different was a great gift. Yeah, that makes total sense. I've heard a lot about the lack of diagnosis in um, women and girls and had friends being diagnosed around now during college. That's becoming like more of the conversation of learning how this presents differently for, you know, women and girls and also like people of different races, people of different socioeconomic backgrounds and stuff like that. And just based on like what kind of things are available to people. Absolutely. Knowing how you operate and why you operate in a certain way can only ever empower you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So kind of bringing this to like the college lens and thinking about like our audience of tough. So what's your advice for college students navigating autism during this time, specifically looking at like seeking out relationships or hookup culture, dating, all that kind of stuff? I actually went to school very nearby. I went to Brown for undergrad. So very nearby. My my college roommate went to Tufts for dental school right afterwards. So yay, go Tufts. Um, so <laughs> I think one of the things that's super important, you know, the old adage about not judging a book by its cover. Right. So I was the social chair of my sorority and a cheerleader in college, which sound about like the least like autistic thing you could possibly be. Right. But again, it doesn't just because you're on the spectrum doesn't mean you're introverted. Sometimes you can be very extroverted, but maybe for shorter periods of time. For me, joining a sorority was like a, was one of the best ways to create a small environment, group of female friends upon whom I could depend. I created a place where I would have somebody to sit at lunch with. I would never have to worry about if I wanted to go to a formal or something. I didn't have to wait to be asked. I, we would have our own, you know, looking for ways to find my identity and to find a social group was a massive part of my success in school. One of the things that they talk about uh, for people on the spectrum is called alexithymia, and it has to do with understanding and identifying your own emotions. And I think very often I wouldn't really recognize that the strong emotions that I was feeling, I couldn't identify them as being, say, for instance, fear. Um, or I couldn't identify them as feeling disrespected, perhaps. And I was in a relationship for two years in college that was abusive. My nickname that my girlfriends had given me when I was in high school was The Flirt. Again, this was because I, I mimicked. I copied, yeah. I, right? So I had like a script. I knew how to be flirtatious. I didn't realize necessarily that if somebody's asking you to like go up and listen to music, like they're not really going up to listen to music, right? So I had to learn those things, you know, through experience. But the experiences aren't necessarily good ones. For me, being in that relationship for a long time, that relationship gave me so much like street cred almost. And the concept of getting out of a relationship didn't make sense to me because we had said it would be forever, so it was going to be forever. A lot of times you find the people on the spectrum, you've got expectations. And when those expectations change, there is just a crush to, to self. People on the spectrum tend to see things in both very black and white terms, if someone is new to your life, but is kind, this is a friend, not realizing there are levels of friendship. Um, instead, it's just a this is someone who cares about me, they're never going to hurt me. There's a, a level of social naivete. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing all that. Yeah, from your personal life. And that's great advice, too. I think a lot of people can, yeah, definitely see those kinds of black and white thinking or, yeah, not really knowing what to expect once you kind of get into college, like having a lot of like idealism about what relationships can look like and what they can turn into. Absolutely. Knowing the things to look for that are not okay. I think establishing, you know, what what can be hard too is and is that for for people on the spectrum, if you don't have a friend, it's, it's almost like having seeing eye friends. That even if there's not a level of abuse or disrespect, that even when a relationship needs, it's time for it to kind of end, you know, or even when it's great, you don't have anyone else affirming your thoughts. You don't have anyone else to go to and play off of and you're susceptible to a lot more, whether it's a sports team, whether it's a pastime, whether it's somebody you've just met in your dorm and you've come very close to. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. But having that little core group around you and if you find that you don't have that core group around you, you don't have a little, you know, little nest kind of thing. That's to be the priority before, like before the hookup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and kind of like on the flip side of that too, thinking about people in the audience who are not on the spectrum and, you know, how can friends and partners, peers and classmates, what can they do to support people on the spectrum who are in their lives? Sure, absolutely. As a friend to someone who is a little bit different, I think one of the best things that you can be echoing and showing through your own behavior and through your own just being around this person and being with this person, not doing anything in particular other than loving or liking this person and appreciating appreciating the true self is to recognize that normal and typical are not synonyms. At the same time, those of us who are less typical often feel less normal. It is a great gift when friends and acquaintances can basically treat us (laughs) as if we are, because we are, normal too, a different kind of normal, but no less normal, just simply less typical. It also can be really helpful to come up with some little code, being able to help say, you know what I think is actually happening here, or, you know, to helping to interpret social situations without being parental, obviously, but helping to say, like, what did you think was going on in that? Here's what I thought was going on. The code being, for instance, evil twin is one that I use. I use it with my kids. I use it with friends. I use it with my husband. And it basically means we have a bad connection here. I can tell in this moment I've tried to say something that should not be offensive or upsetting to you, but I'm getting the reading that maybe I have been. So could we like back it up and may I have a chance to do it again? And I will literally say, evil twin, hold on, right? And it means defense is down, stop, let's listen together, let's go back a minute. Those little kinds of social codes, you can do that with friends, you know, because if you just say it to a stranger, obviously they're going to, no idea. But if you have these things and you can set them up ahead of time, or knowing and respecting certain sensory needs, that's a biggie too, right? Especially if it's like a roommate or somebody you live with, understanding that sensory needs are legit medical diagnosis. So it's not like, I'm just being needy and wanting and, and demanding. There are certain things that whether it's affecting that a cacophony of noise can literally be grating like a migraine to someone, whatever the case may be, helping to support somebody becoming more self-sufficient and more of a self-advocate. Yeah, definitely. That's great advice. Yeah, I love those little codes. I saw on your Instagram too, like the kind of codes for like texting, indicating tone in text. That's really, yeah, super helpful. Tone markers. My gosh. Yeah, because everybody has had a situation, right? Before when you're texting with somebody and there's no, there's no tone of voice. So it gets misread and misunderstood. And folks on the spectrum really struggle with that. And like you just said, Casey, if anybody wants to go to my Instagram, you can see some of them. Probably a lot of you already know tone markers. Use them. If you don't know what some of them are, I put some 
of the more basic ones up on, on my Instagram, just, you know, showing that like this is meant to be sarcastic or this is meant to be half joking. Of course, if something's half joking, it's also half serious. This is important to remember, <laughs> like, you know, um, but those, yeah, little codes, little tools, they really make a difference. Totally. That's awesome. And we'll have all your, your sites linked and everything so people can take advantage of those resources. Yeah, so I would love to talk a little bit about Love on the Spectrum, if that's okay. I think a lot of our listeners have seen the show and I've watched it. Could you just talk about your experience on that show and like what you think about media representations for people on the spectrum? I had the best time. <laughs> I had the best yeah. I had the best time. It was wonderful. What's great about Love on the Spectrum, people have asked me, I think they're looking for the dirt, right? They're looking for it's not like The Bachelor or it's not with the Bachelorette. Like it's yeah. you know what I mean? They're looking for like the scandal. And I'm like, there yeah. was none um you know like the only drama was that I showed up one day and I had floor a floral print and I wasn't allowed to wear a floral print but nobody told me that so I had to rush to TJ Maxx at nine o'clock in the morning and stressing and this was not good for anybody on the spectrum or human spectrum and stressing to find out clothes on the you know from TJ Maxx at nine o'clock which your luck is a, is yeah. the best to keep you know and then I'm changing in someone's driveway that is the drama is drama that I can offer you it was beautifully done. Keenan O'Cleary, who's the director, really made the point that he wanted to show a diverse slice of the spectrum. So, for instance, like there's been a critique that there was nobody um, who was black on the show and there was nobody who happened to be gay. What Keen was really looking to do was his primary focus, wanting it to be a very diverse cast, was that he wanted the diversity of the spectrum. Let's get people who are really representative of there being so many different types of, like, or show, you know, profiles of autism. And you'll find that if you go back to the Australian shows, you absolutely find queer relationships. And so it's definitely not a, a point of not being represented. It's just that was his priority here. And I think that that actually makes a lot of sense, picking people who the audience could relate with, also see that just that diversity of need. You'll hear people say high or low functioning. I think that is, yeah. that's sort of like saying I'm autistic, but not like you, which is really like not cool. So I like to say more or less obviously in need of support. On the show, you see that real range. So what was it like? It was really neat to get to do exercises with, and it's like coaching exercises with the folks to kind of just demonstrate like what a good dialogue should look like using rolling back and forth a ping pong ball. If anybody has seen me on, on the show, that's one of the things I did. And, you know, or we did um, like a mock date with one of the other participants just to see genuine happiness happen. I love that so much. It was super fun. And I'm really excited that we're going to get to do it again. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I wanted to talk about um, when you like roll a ball back and forth with Abby. Could you talk a little bit more about like that method and some other coaching strategies? Sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, being totally honest, I came with that up with that like the night before because <laughs> I got to see a little a video of Abby. And so a lot of times I'll say the folks on the spectrum are thinking often is very much like a firefly or like a railroad train. So we're either like focused and you know one direction and that is that or a little all over the place you know it's it's like from up like squirrel you know like that kind of thing right yeah. and Abby's very squirrel so <laughs> I could see that that was going to be a challenge because what you need above and beyond or, or really foundationally 
in a relationship is you need friendship. One of my books, it's called The Secret Book of Social Rules. I wrote this book, really started off taking notes on social, like hidden social rules for myself when I was first diagnosed, thinking nobody would ever want to read it. And it's now sold over 100,000 copies in six languages. I say this because there are that many people who need this kind of support to that point. One of the rules that I wanted, you know, Abby to learn about was listening skills as well as communication skills. BC, before children, I was a teacher and a social worker. You know, one of the things that I've noticed is that that these concrete methods of teaching, experiential, kinetic, tend to affect people or stay with people, everybody, longer and better. So jump in the ping pong ball. Basically, I knew that Abby was going to really need some coaching to help have a dialogue as opposed to either a monologue or the other dating mistake that a lot of people make, which is just essentially creating an interview. So what I did was I whipped out a um, bunch of ping pong balls. We sat across from one another in her living room. I rolled a bunch of balls at her quickly saying, you know, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite sport? What do you like to eat? What do you like to do? And she said something to the effect of that's a lot of questions. <laughs> you know, that was exactly the point. It's too much. But then I had her roll one to me asking a question or saying something. And then I would comment back or ask a follow up question or say, tell me more, roll it back to her and back and forth we went. So we had gone for about a full minute just asking these little questions. And I said to her, congratulations, you just had a conversation. I loved and I asked her, I said, you know, may I, <laughs> may I shake your hand? And she was so proud. And I loved that. And I saw that you, you could see that then in her, when she was on her dates with David, like you can see, she chooses not to make a lot of eye contact. Some people on the spectrum that is true for, her. you know, that it helps her to focus and be and to be present. But she would ask questions and she would respond to what he said. Would it be an easy flow that maybe others would be, you know, used to? Maybe not quite as much but absolutely different and better than it would have been had we not practiced together. And that made me really excited. And these are skills I think that can benefit anybody. It's making sure that you're listening as much as you're talking, at least making sure you're not taking up all, I call it taking up all the air in the conversation. Imagine a deflated balloon. Um, you don't want that to be what's left over because that's not very inspiring for your partner. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I totally agree. I think a lot of yeah, these skills and tips are really just important for everyone to learn. And it's awesome that, you know, we're getting more representation and conversation about people on the spectrum. And then everyone too can learn and not see that as abnormal, but just another part of like you're saying the human spectrum. And I'm glad you brought up your book. We have a couple of your books now in the care office. We have a little care library. Yeah, so anyone listening can come and access them. We have Autism and Heals, The Asper Kids, Secret Book of Social Rules, and Sisterhood on the Spectrum. Awesome. Yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about any main themes in those books? Sure. And what's exciting too is I should say that if people are more audiobook people, Autism and Heals is in audiobook. And um, I literally just last week recorded Secret Book of Social Rules. And obviously awesome. that'll be out by the end of the month. Sisterhood of the Spectrum, I originally wrote for my daughter. Um, and she's actually going off to college this year. So I wrote it for her when she was younger, but it's definitely college age perfect. It's what I would want a young woman, in this case, my daughter, what I would want her to know the secrets of the world. Everything from describing what sexuality actually is. I, I like to envision a flower. So that at the center is freedom and control. And that whether it's, you know, having to do with health and reproduction, gender and attraction, closeness, 
active expression of, of your own sexuality, how you choose to, and sensuality, really relying on and focusing on, you know, your senses and that being a big thing for people on the spectrum too. We talk about those, you know, in, in detail, but it's sort of like the need to knows of what I would want any strong young woman to know about herself and to know about this world in which she's living. And it's dedicated to my daughter, but there's a poem at the beginning and the end, really dedicating it to all of the, the mighty beauties. And that's what I consider the readers to be mighty beauties. Though it is, you know, about women and girls on the spectrum talking about my own experience, I've had a lot of trans women say that they really identify with things in that book. But I love that. That makes me feel very happy because there is within the autism community, you'll find a lot more gender questioning. Um, and those who I don't necessarily identify with the um, gender assigned at birth, I, I, I feel very blessed that I have a very large, I guess my following is diverse in a million different ways, it seems to be. And I love that. I love that. Like I just get to feel... Like I get to be talking through these books to people who genuinely um, deserve a little extra help and who are these incredibly cool, kind people who the world hasn't always been that kind to. And that's a privilege to me. Ask the Kids Secret Book of Social Rules. Um, it has a whole section on dating and social media. And then the one that's very different is Autism and Heels. And that's my memoir. And that's definitely a grown-up read. That's not something you're going to give to your little sister. Because we do talk about issues of sexual violence and uh, about eating disorders. Do not be fooled and think this is an, a, down, a downer book. This It ends with, and if you know about the Semicolon Project, um, if you don't know what that means, basically it, it has to do with support of the mental health com community, suicide prevention, but also the idea is that my story goes on and that's the end of the book it ends with a semicolon i would love to hear from anybody who gets who takes the time to read some of them i it's a privilege when i when i get to read um the letters and the emails and, and i do read every single one so yeah yeah wow thank you so much that sounds yeah really beautiful we're really lucky to have them and i think yeah i hope a lot of people take advantage of having these resources around and that is awesome go you guys <laughs> yeah, well, thank you to Emma Go at Emma. Care for Emma, <laughs> getting those for us. It's true. Can I read something to y'all? Really? Yeah, fun? I would love. Yeah, I okay. love that. Yay! Okay. <laughs> yeah, that would okay, be great. This is the closing poem from Sisterhood of the Spectrum, and it's called "Your Song." On the day you were born, something changed. In all the time that had ever been, never had there been a moment that contained you. Then suddenly, you contained a moment. An hour, a day, a year. Now you contain so much more. Now you contain all that we, your sisters on the spectrum, have gifted you. You have all of our love and experiments and laughter and tears and our years of knowledge and wisdom and curiosity and our friendship. And now the microphone is yours. So consider and question and doubt and grow and test and try and stretch and laugh and dance and ask. This wacky, quirky wildlife doesn't go as planned. And that's okay because you've got this and we've got you. And you are strangely, wondrously, secretly, urgently, chaotically amazing. Now, when I lean in close to you, there's music where there was silence. There's opinion and creation and voice and courage, and beauty all your own. There are new thoughts, new ideas, new lyrics, a new melody alongside ours, because in your own voice, in your own time, you've begun to sing, 
and it's your voice we hear, not our echo. Raise your voice, mighty beauty, and sing. Sing in cracked notes and perfect pitch. Open the music in your wondrous, wonderful heart. We will be here always to lead you, to accompany you. We will applaud you and teach you, and you, you will be a masterpiece. Wow. That's beautiful. Well, thank you. Yeah. So to all of the, to all of your listeners, you are at such a beautiful, hard time in life and just know that you really will, you will be a masterpiece. It will, it will take lessons and it will take breakups and it will take moments of triumph and all of them put together. You will see that you really truly will be a masterpiece. That's beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for having me. I really, really, really appreciate it. I'm really excited to have all of your wisdom and, and your resources brought to Tufts. It's been really awesome. And thank you so much for taking the time. My pleasure. My privilege. And that wraps up the Care and Dirty Chai Chat Sex and Disability mini-series. Be sure to follow Jennifer on social media and check out the wealth of free resources she offers, including the Chicklist Checklist, a portrait of how autism often shows up in people assigned female at birth. Thank you so much to Catherine, Frank, and Jennifer for dedicating your time and wisdom to this podcast. And thank you to all our listeners for your interest and engagement. I am so incredibly grateful for this opportunity to work with CARE. Thank you to Gio and the Sex Health Reps for welcoming me into the Dirty Chai Chats family. Stay tuned for all their amazing episodes coming out this semester. As a final note, I want to emphasize that this podcast is neither the beginning nor the end of CARE's accessibility efforts. ABLE, Diverse Minds, the Korean Lab, and the Star Center continuously work for disability justice at Tufts, and CARE is passionate about engaging more intentionally in those conversations. I am so looking forward to all that is to come.